welcome to Film Festival Reviews, a place where independent filmmakers and film lovers stop by and listen in on what's happening in and around the independent film scene. This is Christina Kotlar, your host, and it's getting close to the start of my third season podcasting. Hard to believe I've been doing this for two years at a time when only the tech geeks knew what podcasting was all about. It it became a way for me to get into film festivals when there were so many writers for major publications or any kind of publications and bloggers running amok on the internet. And I think after 51 shows, I've gotten the hang of it, so I look forward to the technology only getting better and easier to use. It's easy to subscribe to this podcast off my website at www.filmfestivalreviews.com. It's a great place to find out more about what I've been talking about and who I've been talking with. The more I talk to filmmakers, programmers, industry, and new paradigm makers, uh, the more I get out of the whole enchilada. The other night I had a great time at the Cine Women Gala, especially after the awards when the raffles started. Terry Lawler of Nywift was there with a couple of great prizes. While I didn't win the two tickets to Designer Women or the one-year Nywift membership, I was lucky that night and did win a couple of the prizes, but better still, I met up with Cynthia Wade, director of Academy Award-winning short documentary Freeheld. She agreed to chat with me about uh, what's been happening with Freeheld since Oscar night, and as we talked, um, Cynthia mentioned elements that make up a Cynthia Wade film. One of the things, specifically, that the story is usually told through the eyes of a strong female character. I can often say that same thing as I start Film Festival Review Season 3. Enjoy the show. I was hearing so much about you this past year. I think I finally met you, and it was at the NYWIFT 30th anniversary celebration of the, the short films. And, and then we just met again a couple of days ago at the Cine Women, where you, were, you won a Best uh, Documentary Award from Cine Women. And, and of course, you did win an Academy Award uh, for a short documentary. And I saw you there with your producer, one of your producers, right? That was uh, Vanessa. Roth. Yes, Vanessa Roth. But let's just start a little bit like what you are feeling right now, and then we'll get into talking about your film and where you're going with it. What am I feeling right now? <laughs> Well, there's, there's actually a lot of work still around free held um, because we've been committed to doing outreach in states around the country where there's going to be significant LGBT legislation in the fall for the elections. And we've targeted states where we're considering them breakthrough states. There may be real victories in those states. And this film has been a very effective tool to reach out to audiences and to community members and to screen it and then talk about equality in their communities and we've been doing a lot of that. Um, we're getting our tapes ready for broadcast, both nationally and internationally. We're working on DVD extras and packaging and design. And then we're now, just now, beginning to embark on developing new projects. 
I did check out your website. I heard the very short statement made by uh, Laurel Hester, what this film means to her. Most people know what it is, but tell me what this film is. Freehold is a short documentary, a 38-minute documentary that chronicles the last 10 weeks of Lieutenant Laurel Hester's life. Laurel Hester was a police officer in New Jersey who spent 25 years on the force and was diagnosed with inoperable cancer in 2005 and realized that in order to protect her domestic partner, her life partner, Stacey Andre, an auto mechanic with whom she shared a life and a home, that she needed to transfer her police pension to Stacy, or Stacy was at risk for losing their house. Had they been a heterosexually married couple, this would not have been an issue. But because they were a same-sex couple, living in a county that didn't allow domestic partners to transfer benefits to each other, Laurel had to wage a rather nail-biting fight to secure the right to leave her pension to Stacy, and it was a battle that was watched internationally, not only through New Jersey and across the nation, but really internationally. And I ended up living with Laurel and Stacy during the last 10 weeks of Laurel's life. Also off the website, I was reading that it was very serendipitous that you read about this and you decided to go down and, and see what was happening. And it was the short window of actually witnessing what was going on at a freeholders meeting. Mm -hmm. and, and so that started your role of, of these moments. Did you feel that by these moments being handed to you, you just had to make that decision to go ahead and, and make this film the way you made it? Well, I think that films tell you when they need to be made. And I think that you, films often find you, you don't find the film. I think that's really true. Films find me and sort of grab me by the throat and say, make me, make me, make me. And it really means rearranging your entire life and often your business in order to make the film. It was very clear to me from the moment that I met Laurel Hester and witnessed the outrage in her community um, against their elected officials because they were not allowing her to transfer her pension to Stacey. I realized instantly I needed to make this film. Um, and that meant moving a lot of things around in my business. It meant negotiating childcare um, with my husband who had a full-time job and we had a four-month-old at home and a five-year-old at home. So I'd just given birth to our second daughter. But it spoke to me on a deep emotional level that this film needed to be told and that in order to tell it right, I really needed to tell it from the inside and live with Laurel and Stacy and really tell the story primarily as a love story from inside their home. And in retrospect, it had a lot of the elements of a Cynthia Wade film. I would say Cynthia Wade films tend to be verite documentaries. Usually it's not a retrospective. Usually it's drama that's happening in the moment. And it's usually a controversial issue, um, usually a domestic issue, a controversial social topic, and often told through the eyes of a strong female character. So in retrospect, it had a lot of the elements of the Cynthia Wade film. In the moment of meeting them, I just thought, I need to do this, and I need to figure out how my life is going to revolve around this, because this is incredibly important to tell. Well, that's really fascinating that you are so direct about what kind of film a Cynthia Wade film is. How long did that take you to really uh, put that down, that this is the type of filmmaking I do? You know, a lot of people wander around for a long time, and but you, you have this identity with your films. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it took several films to realize that this was, at least for now, this is my brand, if you will. Um, that there's a style and there's a perspective, then there's a storytelling style that's sort of attached to how I work. 
I would not have been able to verbalize it 10 years ago, but I've been, you know, I, I made my first film more than 20 years ago. I made my first film in 1987, and now we're in 2008. So it's been a long road of both making my own films and doing a lot of shooting for other people and some producing. And through that have really begun to understand sort of what, what moves me, but is also sort of my more authentic filmmaker self. You know, what becomes sort of mine and my way of telling a story. Not only that, but I think you also developed a plan, a strategy for the, the festival circuit. When was the decision made to really go for uh, the Academy Award? Uh, is that something that started with your strategy, or is it something that came along with it and you then made the decision to go for it? Well, it was talked about openly up front, very early, when when Law was alive, we talked about it. But it's, it's, it's important. It was always connected to the elections of 2008. And I think that's an important thing to reiterate, is that I knew I had limited time with Laurel. I only had 10 weeks with her. And what do you do if you've got really powerful footage, but you only have 10 weeks with your main character? And there's no reshoots. You can't go back and ask them another question after they pass away. So it was this very urgent timetable, but limited footage, dramatic footage, but limited footage. And I was aware that by the time we sort of fully launched the film and hopefully had gotten on the festival circuit, I was a bit dubious because I thought this would be a longest short and you can have problems placing a longest short on the festival circuit. Normally it's a very short short or it's a feature length film. But I was aware that if we could do the work around that and sort of launch the film, the true launch would be coming at the end of 07, maybe the beginning of 08, into a national election year where there would be many measures of same-sex equality on many ballots. So the goal from the beginning was to keep it a short, but to really target the election. Now, as part of that, qualifying it for Academy Award consideration was a tactic but it's, it's, it's important to me to, to really connect it to the elections. We're doing the hard election work now. We're doing the outreach now. You can't end it with trying to make a run at the Academy Awards. You really need to be able to then take the awareness of the film, the press around the film, and use that as leverage, but use it as a tool, as a strategy towards those elections. So those things were always hand in hand. Both of those things were hand in hand. And it was something that I spoke to her about. And I didn't know if we could actually do the Academy run, but I was willing to take a risk and try. The film could have aired on television in 2007. It could have been slightly longer. It could have been more like a padded television hour. My sense was, and I turned down a couple of offers to do that at the time, my sense was that it could mean more and have more impact in terms of legislation if we held back, we made it really tight, fairly short, tried to do this run, who knew if it was going to happen or not, but really moved towards the elections. And that's, that was the goal. It's an amazing tactic because, you know, it turned into such a catalyst for you. I'm seeing you're doing a lot more screenings, intensive areas, and also in schools and uh, more gay and lesbian groups. Are they coming out to you now through this? Yeah, and I, I, that's something that directly came out of getting nominated and going to the Academy Awards. On February 24th, the evening of the Academy Awards, Free health was the number one Google term on the planet that evening. We were actually number two for the entire day. 
which is pretty extraordinary considering we were a short documentary. You know, you really are the lowest of the low if you're a short documentary in, in a situation like the Academy Awards. But that in itself, in, in the moments of having won that award, which was an amazing experience, but again, the work here sort of at the grassroots level is the stuff that I think we're, we are most committed to and that's what really makes a difference. We had in those early moments we had 78 countries, uh, individual users, something like in the first few moments, 11,000 visitors, unique visitors, visit the freeheld.com website from 78 countries and all 50 states. And people were like, well, what is this? What is this? What is Laurel Hester? What is the story? And from that has come many, many, many requests for screenings, for outreach, for educational panels. For instance, next week in Illinois, there's a day where equality groups are traveling by bus from Chicago to Springfield, Illinois to lobby for civil unions, for a civil unions bill. And they're organizing themselves on many buses. Guess what they're going to be watching on the buses on the way to the, the Capitol? They're going to be watching free health. And, and it's a way to have sort of a group experience and watch one woman fight against the injustice in her own community and really sort of feel it and talk about it and talk about the discrimination that's being faced in these specific communities and then go in and let them lobby. I think that's great. That's a, that's a very tangible way in which the film is being used as sort of an organizing or educational tool. So the, I think that the Oscars just helped heighten the awareness of the film, and that's a blessing. It's an amazing thing. It was certainly an incredible experience to go especially with Stacy, Laurel's surviving partner, who, who'd never been west of Pittsburgh and who got on a plane and came to Los Angeles and was there with us, actually holding Laurel's ashes at the Academy Awards. And it was emotional. Ultimately, though, uh, you come back from that and it, it's sort of about the work on the ground. What I talk about a lot is the film lives that films have. And of course, the first film life is the, the film festival film life. And, and you're going to have an incredible film life for this film because it's, it's going on to all those different levels. What else would you want for this film to do? I'm pretty happy with the life of this film, I think. I would say I've got some target areas. The goal has always been to reach as much of the heterosexual audience as possible, particularly the unexpected heterosexual audience that normally would not go see an LGBT film. But um, like the police officers, who many of them were sort of straight, married, male, some of them macho cops, when they saw one of the best police personal and they stood up and became these quite unlikely gay activists, but it became personal to them and therefore they could not stand to see the injustice being done. And so the goal has always been to try to hit that audience as much as possible as a target audience. So I'm very committed to trying to really figure out how do we, how do we hit that audience as much as possible. My Oscar acceptance speech was censored in Singapore, and now there's some real interest in Singapore in getting the film into theaters there. Um, and I think that would be a great thing. So there's places where I would still like the film to go that I haven't figured out quite where it can fit. And, you know, if we can get into theaters in Singapore, that would definitely be a goal. You have an incredible website, and uh, you also have another producer working with you that's listed on the website. That's Matthew Surrett. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> 
co-producer in all senses of the word, yes. That's right. That's your husband, right? He's a strategist? Uh, yeah. Has... Um, well, Matt is, uh, he's actually a trained archaeologist and has worked a long time in the marketing and advertising world. He is a film producer um, now, very officially, because he's produced many of my films. Um, he was a producer on Freeheld. And he's very good at helping me clarify not only sort of the launch and the strategy of the film, because I, I think to some extent a film is only as effective and as strong as the audience that you can reach. Like you can make the most amazing film in the world, but if you can't reach an audience, it's like a tree falling in the forest where nobody can hear it. It's important to be able to reach the audience and connect with the audience. Um, and I maintain that there is no such thing as a general audience. I think that each film has its own audience, and to really find that and connect with those audiences and respect that, I think is part of the process. Matt came up with the title Freeheld. He he was the brain behind the website Freeheld. Um, he was actually the person who came up with the title Shelter Dogs, one of my previous films. It, it for instance, it had originally I was calling it in a working title uh, Dog Shelter, and he said to me, you know what? It's, it's a wrong title because the focus is on the shelter, dog shelter. It's really impersonal. But if you flip it and you say shelter dogs, then the focus becomes the dogs. And the dogs are the characters, and they're the ones who are going to be living this drama and pulling the audience through the drama. And he was absolutely right. It was much more um, of a personal thing, and, and there was more of a warmth and a connection with shelter dogs as a title as opposed to dog shelter. So little tweaks like that, I think, can make a really big difference and, you know, really trying to, with all of the films, find a home for them and a presence for them on the Internet, I think is really important. I don't think Freehold is a perfect title by any means, but I think that um, it's a trackable title on the web. Um, I mean, I think as a, as a word, Freehold, we own that in the Internet space, and that's, that's an important thing. This is just amazing listening to you because I, I listened to you at the uh, NYWIF 30th anniversary short stay. It was a great panel. I know we did talk about how great it was getting that award at you know, Cine Women in this kind of close community of women filmmakers. Well, I mean, I think that I think it's really important for women to to tell their stories and to support each other in telling their stories. I think there are certain stories that really can only be told by women, and I think the more that we can infuse the world with diverse voices and viewpoints, I mean, you, you know, that, that's a really important thing. I think women generally are really good about supporting each other in this industry and giving each other a leg up and mentoring one another. Generally, I, I think we've been very good at that. Um, but it was great to be in a situation where we, we were there and we were celebrating together. You know, it was, it was probably 95% women. And, you know, it's, I think it, it, that can be a nice way to have a party sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for, for your time because I know you're busy and Robin was wonderful trying to set this up. And here we are doing the iChat thing again. <laughs> great. <laughs> and I'd love to catch up with you again to find out um, what's going to be happening, let's say, in the next six months. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Have a good weekend. You too. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye-bye. This woman is so inspiring, and I love what she says about films that tell you when they need to be made. 
Another filmmaker that had a similar effect on me was Jennifer Bajewal, director of Manufactured Landscapes. Uh, film and filmmaker were subjects of the New York Women in Film and Television program event I produced, a case study on the making of a documentary. This also was my third year producing this particular program, and I must say that this one was the best one yet. I had Tom Powers, programming director of Stranger Than Fiction from the IFC Center as my co-host, and since Jennifer was unable to be physically present, we were able to get her on the big screen via digital technology and Skype. It was incredible to have Jennifer on screen with her eloquent and thought-provoking statements, underscoring the, the clip segments of this award-winning film. So, being at the forefront using available technology makes me feel like the early film pioneers, just the way they probably felt when they tested, used, and invented uh, things to to do with the technology that was so new at the time. I know Alice Guy Boucher would love what we are doing now. So check the website filmfestivalreviews.com for festival updates around the world. There's always one going on. So until next time, thanks for listening.